So good to have Ty Peterson on the line today. Uh, Ty is from uh, the Miami area, and uh, he actually wanted me to call him Tyrone, and uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more here uh, as we continue. But uh, Ty, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Talk About It. How you doing? Sammy, thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing great, and yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ty, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is it that you're doing these days out there in the uh, in the Miami area? Uh, just uh, give us a, a quick rundown of what you're doing. Yeah, so my name is Tyrone Peterson, and uh, my family and I moved to Miami area uh, about four years ago, originally from Minneapolis, but we've lived in uh, Mexico, Honduras, Cambodia, and now here in South Florida. Um, I am what's called a bivocational pastor. I work a full-time job, and I'm a full-time pastor. We've got a church called the Mosaic Church. We are uh, many people, one God. Um, we're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, um, one God church. So it's something we're quite uh, proud of, the fact that we bring in people from all kinds, all the different races, uh, uh, you know, backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, for my business, I have a company called Bella Taylor, and we help companies fix their marketing. And more sales. Very, very cool. Very cool. What what does what does multi ethnic multicultural mean? I know that uh, those words get thrown around quite often. What what is the difference between multi ethnic and multicultural? Well, you know, you're probably more the expert on this than I am, Sammy. But you know, uh, ethnic I take from the word ethnos, right? Or and so the idea is that there's many uh, nations, and then even within each nation, there's different cultures, right? So. Um, you may have uh, within you might have people from India, but you have different castes from within India, right? Um, different people groups. Uh, the same thing for Cambodia. Cambodia is pretty much everyone is Cambodian, or they're what, what are called the Khmer people. But each group, uh, you know, there there are Vietnamese uh, Cambodians and there are Thai Cambodians um, that that live there, but they're not Khmer. So that's kind of the idea. So you might have multi um, multi racial, if you would, and then multicultures within that race. Uh, here, here's an example. Um, we have a lot of people who are of African descent. Some of them are African-American, some of them are Haitian, and some of them are Jamaican. And all three of them would say that they're not the same culture, but they are of the same racial background. Awesome. Man, I, I love the way that you unpack that. So good. Just want to make sure that people that don't understand some verbiage uh, get what is being uh, said, and they can at least understand the, the uh, you know, point of reference that we're speaking on. So thanks so much for defining those within your context. Uh, well, listen, I know that uh, you and I have, uh, have had some conversations outside of this interview time, and I, I really wanted to hear your story, but we're going to frame your story within the context of the questions that I normally ask during the podcast. Obviously, the podcast is Let's Talk About It, an ongoing conversation about implicit racial bias, justice, and how we can end white supremacy. So in no point am I calling anybody a white supremacist, but we understand that we are in a dominant culture, and the dominant culture in America is uh, white. And so uh, I believe that that is probably the biggest stronghold that we have to come against, that uh, feeling of superiority that has really been etched within the context of our nation, America. And so I, by no means do I want anyone to hear that and say, wow, you've got a guy named Tyrone on and uh, you, know, you want to talk about uh, racial bias, how it comes about implicitly. Uh, you want to talk about justice. And then you want to talk about ending white supremacy. Uh, does that mean that some of your guests are white supremacists? I just want to uh, refute that from the onset and say that Tyrone is not a white supremacist, uh, on the contrary. And, uh, but Ty, we have had this conversation before where, you know, most of the times I will interview a person of color. Well, I mean, right. you, are t you are tan. But uh, the context of you being a person of color uh, is not necessarily one that people would frame you under. So could you just, uh, before we even get into the questions, can you just give us a, just a little bit of a framework of where you grew up 
and what that was like. And then we'll just uh, we'll 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 intertwine the questions as you uh, tell us your story. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a disclaimer. If you looked at me, you would not think it was a Tyrone, right? And Sammy, you call me Ty for a reason. Um, but uh, you know, among a lot of people, I'm known as the White Tyrone. Uh, I am definitely. You would look at me. You would know that I'm definitely of Anglo descent. Um, I am darker, right? Uh, so there's a through adoption, uh, I was raised in a Swedish family. My dad was adopted, um, and but we definitely have uh, we have uh, Mexican in our background. But if you look at me, you think, think it was Anglo. I was raised as an Anglo. Um, uh, I speak Spanish. We speak Cambodian. Um, but we, I grew up in a neighborhood that was probably 50, 50 white, uh, 50, 50 black, right? Um, and there were some experiences in my life that I had that definitely made me the outsider. Um, and I think one of the things we have talked about is, uh, you know, this whole racial thing that we're facing. Um, Sam, you posted something that when people say that they, they say I'm colorblind, what does that, what does that mean? And um, I think you asked some really provocative, great questions. Um, and so uh, I don't want to kind of rabbit trail down too far, but um, I, I would say if you looked at me, you know, when I walk into a store here, everybody speaks to me in Spanish. Um, and when I walk into a store in Minneapolis, you know, no one goes, my gosh, this guy's a person of color. So I'm kind of in a unique spot there, if that makes any sense. You know, it does. It makes, it makes a huge amount of sense. And I, I'm so glad that we get to hear a different perspective because I want to make sure that this is not some, something that's coming across as one-sided. And so, uh, Ty, we're just going to go ahead and jump into the first question. Uh, have you ever seen or experienced implicit racial bias? Um, yeah, actually, I have. And by the way, I do want to say thank you, Sammy, um, for all the listeners. I was a bit worried about coming to this podcast because, you know, we're going to have an honest discussion. And you, people that don't know you, you do worry that you get perceived as maybe a um, a person that you're not. So you always want to be careful about what you say. But I've seen racial bias in so many ways. Um, I've definitely seen what we consider in America traditional racial bias. Because, you know, um, people let their guard down and they'll say things. If they think you're white and they're a, they're a white supremacist, they'll say just stupid things that they, sh- they, should, they wouldn't say in front of somebody who was black or somebody that they said, well, this guy's Mexican or whatever. I've heard some pretty stupid things. Um, I've seen people treat people poorly in work environments, um, and, uh, you know, I've stood up against it. Um, you know, I, when I was going to school, we had skinheads in our school that definitely uh, went after some of the black kids, and I just, I'm not going to stand for that. I was, I was never raised to allow bullies to be bullies, and so um, we definitely came against it. What's interesting is, um, Sammy, and I don't know if this is kind of a time that maybe uh, you would feel like it would be appropriate for me to talk about some of the things I experienced as a kid growing up. Um, as as a victim of uh, of racial violence, would that be okay? Absolutely, no. Ty, I want to. I want. I want to hear your story. I want awesome. everybody to hear your story because a lot of times when we hear about implicit racial bias, we tend to think that people of color are the only ones that experience that, but that may not be the case. So you know, if, right. if you've experienced it on a personal level, no, please tell us your story. Awesome. So uh, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where, like I said, it was it was, it was pretty much fifty fifty. Uh, you know, and um, it was interesting because I punched a friend of mine who I'm still friends with to this day, Mike. I punched him in the face, and uh, Mike and I were like brothers, and we had a guy next door, Jason, uh, who, who was like a brother to us. Mike was the youngest. I was in the middle, and Jason was uh, older than me. Um, and, uh, and I punched Mike in the face because Mike had punched me first. And uh, the difference was I was the only white kid out of the three of us, and we had a crowd of probably 20 to 30 kids outside my house, every one of them black, calling me every racial slur you could call a white guy. Um, some of them were so creative, I, I had no idea what it was. And we were like 10 or 11. Um, and they were, they were trying to break my door down and get in my house and beat me up. And they were, uh, you know, calling me all kinds of names. And um, it was interesting because, you know, that's not what people think about when they think of racial violence, right? Mm. They don't think that this happens, and yet it does. Um, and, you know, I mean, there are other things, you know, I, 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 as an adult now, I understand why these things are there. But, you know, we had, uh, we had tutoring only for black kids in, in, uh, at our high school. And, um, and, and now, we would, you know, we, we understand as an adult why that is. 
that we have to overcome some of the things that were in the past and, and maybe the most recent past, maybe even today. Uh, but, you know, there were things that I could not get access to because I wasn't allowed into the program. Um, hmm. Even though we were all poor, even though we we're all struggling, even though, you know, my mom was working, I, I had a single mom and she was working sometimes two, three jobs. Um, and I was working as well in high school. And some of these kids had more than one parent in the house. They had two parents in the house, and their parents were professionals. But I still couldn't get access to that. And now as an adult, I get it. But I still feel like that's some of the bias that you see. Um, but my take on bias is maybe a little bit unpopular. I think there's a, whenever you have places of power, you will mm-hmm. see people act inappropriately. Um, so when we lived in Mexico, you know, Mexico had – is a, it has a systemic racism against blacks um, and, uh, you know, against people who are of African descent. And they have, you know, until I think it was 10 years ago, one of their stamps um, was like a caricature. And it was, it was like vile. But the reason is because power expo- seeks to exploit its own. When you move to Cambodia, there are Cambodians that didn't want to write to me because they saw my name as Tyrone. And they were like, well, you must be, you must be, you know, African. I was, and then they'd see me and they'd rent to me. Um, or like even in India, you see caste systems where you have, you have a, a bias based on where you are in the caste system. And I think so often um, any kind of racial bias or racial violence uh, isn't, a, isn't necessarily a product of one race. I think it's a product of people having power and seeking to exploit for their own means, if that makes sense. Mm. It does. It makes a lot. Now, let me ask you a question, because I know that uh, uh, this is a term that's being thrown around a lot. When you mentioned that you didn't have access to some of the programs that were uh, accessible by, uh, you know, uh, uh, African-American kids, uh, would you consider that uh, to be some form of reverse discrimination? Um, by the way, I, and I do want to apologize if I have anybody using the term black. It's because I have friends that get, that get mad when I term African-American, they're like, I'm not from Africa, I'm black. So I, I want to be, I, I also want to be sensitive to that. But, um, but uh, yeah, it, it, do, do I see this reverse racism? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think I, that's reverse racism. I think it's trying to make sure people in a, in a culture get the help they need. Um, do, I, do I think sometimes it can be? Sure. I think if it's Louis Farrakhan doing it, yeah. And if Louis Farrakhan is listening, Louis, you're a racist. Right. But um, but I think I think for the most part, it is a people in a culture trying to help. It's it's a heart you're doing it with. Right. right. It, it's like if I see I, I, every day I live in a city called. Uh, well, I live next to a city called North Lauderdale and I drive past a Polish American um, hall. Now, are they racist because they have a sign that says they're Polish American they're proud of it? No. And if they teach their kids Polish, no. And if they have tutoring for Polish kids, no. Not their heart is right. So I think these people want to do the right thing. I wouldn't call it racism. Hmm. Very good. Very good. I think that uh, Louis Farrakhan, there's been something floating around on Facebook where uh, I guess Louis claimed that uh, Jesus was his redeemer and his redeemer lives. And uh, so he may be a brother unless it's like a Facebook spoof. So uh, yeah, I know, know. but but he but yeah, just because he's a just because he is a uh, member of the nation of Islam doesn't mean that he does not believe that uh, Jesus is a prophet. Uh, He doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord, and that's where our difference is. Um, Yeah. So. All right. No, man, I like it. I like I like what you're saying. Uh, Very very provocative. Very provocative, And, and I like I like provocation so long as it takes us somewhere. So long as it leads right, to right. Uh, healing yeah. and not just more provocation. Hey, man, I love the fact you're happy. I apologize. I don't have to. No, no, no. no. Go ahead. You, you love the fact that what now? That you're having this conversation. I mean, most people, most people, we sit in silos, and the silos create silences, right? Right. And, right. you know, the only time we have a conversation is over Facebook or when we're muttering under our breath that someone else is wrong, right? right? Um. And I, I dig the fact that you are willing. In fact, we have a mutual friend, Dave Negri, mm-hmm. um, and he was the one. He loves the fact you're causing a conversation, right? And and if Dave is listening to this, Dave, you're the whitest white guy I've ever met. So you know, um, and and once again, if any of your listeners are offended, send all your hate mail to Sammy. So um, 
<laughs> well, listen, I don't. I love. I love all shades. I love all cultures. Amen. I, I love all colors. Uh, for those of you that cannot see me, I am probably the most handsome caramel Puerto Rican you've ever met. Married to a Caucasian <laughs> woman. So, uh, you know, it's all good. It's all good. I, as, uh, as To quote uh, one of the greatest philosophers of our time, Jerry Maguire, I love white people. And so, um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands that. So, uh, Tom, yeah, amen. You, have, you have experienced racial bias. How did, how did experience that, experiencing that make you feel? Oh, well, you know, obviously at the top it made me feel angry. You know, it made me feel hurt. It made me feel ashamed. Um, it made me feel like you don't know who your friend is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because Mike and Jason weren't a part of this group, but they, these kids had heard about it, and obviously through people in the neighborhood. And when these people show up and they're at your door and they're screaming and banging at your door, you're like, the world isn't, definitely isn't a safe place. I mean, if had I stepped out of there, I would I would be missing teeth, mm. you know. Um, and I was smart enough. Now, I mean, it just it is what it is. I mean, the the first act of racial violence was when I was in uh, I was in the uh, third grade, and um, I got knocked to the ground, and I got called every you know I got called honky and cracker and all that stuff, and uh, three kids kicked me and beat me for about five minutes, and this was the third grade. So I mean, it isn't. You know, it, it happens. It's unfortunate, um, but it it definitely makes you realize that that people are different. You know, yeah. Yeah. so. And by no. the way, we are a multiracial family, so um, so this hasn't like purposely scarred me. I mean, we're multiracial in our family, so uh, you know, we love everybody. Gotcha, gotcha. That's great. So let me ask you a question. Just in your opinion. For somebody else that experiences that, or even you for that matter, what what would justice look like for somebody that has experienced racial bias? And in your case, you, you actually got beat by people uh, in, starting in third grade. And then, you know, when you when you punch that guy in the face after he punched you, kind of like Mike, Mike Tyson says that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. And, you know, luckily you just stayed in the house, even though they were trying to kick your door down. But what would justice look like uh, for somebody that has experienced racial bias? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, if you define justice as fairness and equity and impartiality, um, I, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think, uh, um, I, I, I think maybe evening out the playing field for people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, making sure that, that people that, I mean, let's face it. I live in a city where um, until, you know, 50 years ago, there were designated areas where you could live if you were uh, non-white. It wasn't that you were black or African descent. You could be Puerto Rican. You could be Mexican. You could be whatever. And you couldn't leave the area after 9 o'clock at night, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you find justice for, for the people that lived there and even for the descendants, right? Well, I think mm-hmm. part of that is you need to find ways to um, – help people and elevate people up, right? Um, and so it's speaking of other people other than myself, right? Um, and, and I think justice is an individual thing. Like everyone has to take part in it. It isn't just a programmatic thing, and I think the government certainly has places to do with it, and I think um, nonprofits have something to do with it, right? Uh, but I also think it comes down to it's an individual effort. If we want justice, we have to, we have to walk justice out, mm-hmm. you know? We have to love justice, seek mercy, and I'm sorry, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. We can't just talk about justice. We got to walk it out, and that means standing up for what's right. Even who's the gentleman that uh, that protected? He's, he's an African American guy in L.A. during the riots in the '90s, the Rodney King riots, and the uh, the truck driver gets pulled from the the cab of his truck. And the, the, the man covers him with his body. He was a white truck driver, and the guy covers him with his body. And he, he's screaming, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. That's, that to me is justice. Like when you can do that, that's justice. How about the young African-American woman who saw a white supremacist being beaten to death by a crowd, and she, she got in front of them and said, look, don't kill this man. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that white supremacist, by all rights, you could say, deserved to be beat up. I mean, most people would say, yeah, that's right. But – 
she she saw that and said, this man's going to be killed. So she stood up, and hopefully it changed some hearts, right? Um, if you look at the, at, at the story of the, of the Samaritan, of the Good Samaritan, and, and uh, there might be some people that disagree with this, but um, if you look at the Good Samaritan, he was an outsider in an, in an outside area. He's walking, and he sees um, uh, uh, an Israelite laying on the side of the road. Now, two of the Israelites' brothers had passed by him. They were busy. They, were, they couldn't be delayed, whatever. And he picks this guy up and throws him onto his, onto his donkey, takes him to an ill in and pays for his, for his stay and anything he needs until he gets better. And, uh, and, and he, he, he does something so profound. Now, what's amazing about that is, guess what? That Samaritan was actually a victim of some racial uh, injustice, right? I mean, these yep. two people, they, they didn't like each other at all. Right. In fact, Samaritans were treated really poorly for, by, 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 by the Jews at the time. Right. They were seen as half-breeds. They were seen as, uh, as total outsiders. And to a certain extent, theologically, they were wrong. They, they, did some, they practiced some wrong things. But, I mean, this man... He practiced justice. He practiced love. He practiced peace. Hey, if you've if you got to pick one Bible character other than Jesus that embodies justice and love and peace, man, he's a great example. That's so good. Good point, Ty. Good point. Now, um, let's get to the last question, uh, which is really the crux of all of this. Uh, how do we... How do we uh, bring about a counterculture to white supremacy. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about white supremacists. I'm just talking about the ideology that uh, has been the, the construct of our nation where, uh, you know, white ideology, white superiority uh, reigns and continues to do so. How do we begin to deconstruct that and, and change that culture in our nation, uh, you know, just from your perspective? Well, I think, um, first off, I think wherever you go, you have superiority, right? So if you go to Korea, Koreans are very monocultural. And if you show up there, you have to, they, they have a way that it, things are done, right? Um, and you have to fit into the culture. Um, and I think if you, Go to, you know, even within Mexico, there is a, there's a superiority uh, that is exuded by different classes within Mexico or, or India. Look, you have a caste system, right, where, certain, you know, the Brahmins are higher than the, than the untouchables. Well, um, so I think, I think no matter what, it isn't just a white supremacist thing that you're talking about. It is a how do you stop this supremacy of, of whoever you are, Right. Um, and so I think, and one of the things is, you, you said, hey, it's a construct that, that our government or that our, that our nation is built on. I think it's one of the things that, that it's built on. But I think the only way to solve it is, is through Jesus. And some of your listeners might disagree with that. But hey, this is all sin. White supremacy is sin, right? Mm -hmm. Just like black supremacy is sin. Just like, uh, you know, um, saying my race is, and, you know, if, if you're Puerto Rican, and you think that you're superior to Cubans, and that happens in South Florida, you know that. Um, that's sin. None of us is better than anybody else, and none of, us should have, uh, none of us has the way to tell anybody else what's up. The truth is, the only person that can tell us, the only person that's superior to us is Jesus. Right. And, um, and by turning our eyes to Jesus, that's the only way we're going to solve this. I love the man that, that he's an African-American man. Um, he is winning Klansmen to Christ. He's winning them as friends. He's winning the Christ. Most Klansmen are, are not Christians. Most, most neo-Nazis are not Christians. If you meet any of them, they're not Christians. Uh, I don't know if you know the name David Hogan. He's a great Pentecostal preacher. Um, from, uh, he, he lives in Mexico as a missionary. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story of how uh, David Hogan was a guy from the bayou. Um, he... Uh, he, 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 he doesn't have a great education, but he's, he loves Jesus, and he, he can preach. And uh, tells a story about his, how his dad was a Baptist preacher, and the Klan came up and wanted to burn a cross on the church property. And his dad threatened the whole Klan and basically explained to these people, this is not what Jesus would want, right? And the Klan couldn't respect it because they weren't Christians. 
They were culturalists. Culturally, they say they were Christians, but they weren't. And the only way to combat white supremacy, whatever it is, is through the power of Jesus that worked in people's lives. Look, um, you could throw every dollar in the world at this. You could throw every, every social program in the world at this. You could do every form of, um, of education in terms of entertainment. But the only thing that's going to change people is the power of Christ to work in their lives, the Holy Spirit changing their lives. I agree with you. Obviously, uh, as, a, as a fellow pastor, I 100% agree with you. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole purpose for me calling out white supremacy, because it is the premise that our nation is built on, uh, you know, even though we would, we would want to say that we were built on Judeo-Christian values, uh, a, a lot of those values were skewed. Uh, because of how, uh, you know, our, what you would call our forefathers, as far as Americans right. concerned, viewed certain things, the way that they viewed, especially, uh, you know, Africans that they brought as slaves, the way that they viewed yeah. the, the native people, uh, you know, yeah. they, they, they basically came and colonized and they brought slaves and, uh, and how they treated the Chinese who built the railroads. And so right, there is right. this, there is this sense of superiority from uh, you know the, the dominant culture, uh, and so that's why I call it out. And, and the, the only reason that I'm bringing this to light, even now, uh, because it's it's not against uh, you know white people at large. You know I don't think that I don't think that all white people have a sense of superiority over other people, but we have seen, especially as of late when we saw what took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, that there are some white supremacists who do have the ideology that they are superior uh, than other people, people of color. And so, you know, I think that uh, it is the reason that racism exists. Uh, I think that's the reason that racism gets propagated and not just from the vantage point of white against black. That tends to be the the uh, the dominant view that it's just a white and black issue, uh, you know there there is uh, you know racism towards Latinos, there is racism towards uh, uh, Asian uh, people of Asian descent, there is uh, racism towards uh, you know uh, Indians uh, from India. There's 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 racism towards all kinds of people, but you know for whatever reason. Would, can we, I can I ask a question? Sure. Can I ask a question? Would Absolutely. you say there's racism towards white people? Would you say there's any racism towards white people? I would say yes, there is. I think I think that there is racism towards white people, but but let me make sure that I have a but in there. I think that the racism towards right, white right. people is is as a response towards the racism that's been shown by white people to people of color. I think that because so, there has ne- because there's never been any kind of any kind of resolve of this issue. I mean, there has never been any kind of resolve. That's why I kind of changed the whole topic of this podcast. Cause at first it was, right. it was, uh, you know, implicit racial bias, justice and the pursuit of reconciliation. And so, you know, as I dug further into the history of our nation, there's, there's never been reconciliation for there to be reconciliation for, you know, there, there's, there's never been a time in, in the, in the history of our nation where, uh, you know, uh, not so much a repentance of what was done, uh, the, right. but more than that, a restitution or a resolve. You know, uh, it, there still continues to be the ill treatment of people of color since the inception of our nation. And so that's why I say what okay, I say. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a provocative question. Okay? Ask them. So me, So me getting beat up as a kid was because... It, it was, it, as a white kid, by, by my black friends or by people I knew that were black, um, wasn't because they were in power and because they were more of, and because they were, they were doing what people in power do. Your argument is they did it because it was, a, it was an inherent response to the overall racism that white people exhibit. No, I think that you got beat up by your friends or by people that were wanting to gain you up. Because you punch somebody in the face, you punch a you punch a, a a kid in the face that had punched you back, and you know it was a mob, and they just you know they were taking it out on you. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but you know well, historically, well, clearly, clearly they were doing it. Clearly they were doing it because I was white, right? Well, they I, were doing it. I mean, they're, they're you, calling me. They 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 never they had never done this before. They never did it when when Mike punched Jason. 
they they showed up to beat me up, and I just right. They showed up to yeah. beat me up, Sammy, because um, because I was a white kid, and I punched a uh, one of their a kid that they knew that that was black, right? right. I mean, there was no question about this, right? Um, I, I mean, what about the guy? What about the guy in in Kansas City who yesterday or two days ago just got arrested? He's known to be the newest serial killer that's been caught. And he, he killed at least five white middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. And he has said that he wanted to kill white people. Now, you're saying that these men are victims because, um, because it's a response, his response to inherent racism that's never been reconciled. Is that well, what you're no, saying? I'm, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that, okay. I, I, think that uh, I know that maybe other people have said that. I think that people have said that people are reacting or responding to whatever right. brutality that they have felt like they have been under, that oppression that they've been under. Right. And so some of these things could be. Now, I can't answer for that, man. Just like I can't answer why sure. you got beat up. I can't answer those questions. You know, you got beat up. And for you, you feel like you got beat up because you were the white kid that punched the black kid. And everybody else was like, well, let's just pounce on the on the on the white kid. Uh, you know why this man in Kansas City, you know, is killing. I'm assuming white people. I hadn't heard about that story. Uh, I, I need to hear about that so I can, you know, talk about it. But uh, you know, right. I, I, I don't know why people uh, do what it is that they do. But I know that in the history of our nation, uh, African Americans were treated, uh, yeah. you know, it, were, were were treated in a in a very ugly. In a very wrong, oh, yeah. in, a, in a very evil, ma- you know, evil way, simply because they were black, and so you know, what yeah. does that do? What does that do to the psyche of a community, the black community at large? After a while, when you feel like, man, I've been oppressed, I've been oppressed, I've been oppressed, and it's like a ticking time bomb. And so I know that some of this stuff will sound like, Sammy, that's crazy. I mean, you're you're almost defending, uh, you know, uh, behavior or backlash. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm just speaking right. to the fact that you can you can only get pushed into a corner so much until you you've got to come out of that corner. And sometimes the only way out of a corner is, you know, you got to swing or kick or or punch your way out of it. Right. And hey, so, I look. I, I thoroughly believe that the reason that Mal, uh, Martin Luther King um, was listened to by middle-class America back in the 60s was because we had people like Bobby Seals and Malcolm X saying, look, things have to change or we're going to blow stuff up, right? But mm-hmm. w- So I, I, see, I see the anger and I agree with the anger. But what I think is um, what I was taking from what you said is that if we see racism on the part of minorities, it's in response to uh, what people have struggled with. And look, I think 90% of America that is, that is uh, Caucasian, right, um, would say, hey, you know, we see there, there's injustice. But to justify violence back, this guy, his name is uh, Frederick Scott, Frederick DeMond Scott. He's 22 years old, and uh, you, you can look it up in the news. He is suspected of murdering five middle-aged white men, and he walked into a school, the Center Alternative School, in 2014, and he, he wanted to shoot the school up and kill all white people. Mm-hmm. So when you make a comment that, and, and I'm just going to, I'm just trying to posit this, right? If you make a comment, because our words are, are important, if you make a comment that this is a response to racism, and it, I mean, maybe it is, but it does, doesn't justify it. Not right. at all. And so don't so don't don't uh, take my comment and say, well, Sammy, it's almost like you're giving you're giving the the OK for people to retaliate or you're giving people to react in a violent way because of uh, the violence that was demonstrated towards, you know, black people, uh, you know, for hundreds of years. No, violence is right. wrong. Violence. Violence doesn't solve anything. Violence only begets violence, to quote Martin Luther King. And so the only way right. to snuff out violence is through love. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I think that, again, when you see, uh, you know, things happening, uh, which are wrong, like what this man did by going into wherever it was that he went to and, and shooting white people, uh, that's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't be done. Just like uh, you know, people shouldn't be treated unfairly or 
unequal because of the color of their skin, something that none of us have, you know, any responsibility for. Just like you, you aren't responsible for having white skin, just like I'm not responsible for having caramel skin. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, right. God, God purposed that we be born when we were born, where we were born, to the parents whom we were born to. And so none of that is anyone's fault. It's, it's the ideology that has come across loud and clear, uh, you know, from the inception of uh, our nation. As I'm, I'm talking about America that says that a person of color, a black man, is only three-fifths of a man. You know what I'm saying? And so after a while, that gets under your skin. And, you know, that type right. of oppression really messes with your psyche. And so how people respond to that, uh, you know, uh, some do it in a way like Martin Luther King, where we would say that it was constructive, and some respond in ways that are not constructive. And, uh, you know, sure. and, and, every, and everybody has to assume responsibility for their own actions. You know, I was reading yeah. uh, just, a, just a, a couple days ago where uh, Malcolm X, Malcolm X went to uh, one of his teachers and uh, Malcolm X was very athletic. Uh, you know, he, apparently he uh, uh, was, was uh, you know, somebody that was very popular in his school because of his athleticism. But he went to one of his teachers, mm-hmm. uh, a white teacher, and he told his teacher that he wanted to be a lawyer. And I'm going to quote what the teacher said to, uh, you know, to Malcolm X, or I, I don't know if right. his name was Malcolm then, but there was no X behind his name. His name was Malcolm Little. His okay, name is so, Malcolm Little. He grew up in Lansing, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the teacher says to Malcolm, uh, you know, in essence, uh, and I'm not going to say the word, Negroes can't be lawyers. In essence, stay right. in your lane. And it really, yeah. I mean, it, it, it really messed Malcolm X up or Malcolm Little mm-hmm. up at the time. And so, and that was what began to change, you know, his mindset of, man, you know, here I am, I'm in a school uh, that is, uh, you know, I would assume it was not segregated at the time, but uh, it so messed with him that Malcolm ended up leaving that school and going somewhere where it was a predominantly black school. And obviously, we can tell through the course of history that his whole mentality changed against white people, uh, you know, and, so, uh, you know, let me, go ahead. Let me add something there, though. So let me add something. Number one, he was actually the president of his class, and he said, and he's right, he, he rightly says that um, it turned out, I mean, they, they really treated him like, unfortunately, like he was a, uh, like he was a class mascot. He was popular, and he definitely felt that, but the the funny thing is, is he went to um, a, a, a a black school, and that's what it was at the time. There was no other word for it. He went to a black school, and um, he was treated poorly because he was the fairest one. He had red hair. They called him Red. Um, he was called Detroit Red when he when he moved to New York, I believe it was. If, if it was New York, he moved to. But um, I mean, he he got he got made fun of a lot there, even. Um, and because it was the opposite, right? He, he, he had some really some other deeply seated issues. And it goes to show you that people in power, regardless of who you are, will treat you like dirt, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so he was deeply scarred on both sides. And, I, and, I, and I'm not taken back from what his teacher said. What his teacher said was wrong, right? And by the way, mm-hmm. there were black lawyers. Which is crazy because in the north there were black lawyers. You didn't see them as much in the south, right? But he he also went to the school and he was also treated poorly. The autobiography of Malcolm X should be it should be a must read by every American high school student, regardless of race, because that will show you so much more about the social construct of race. Um, hey, Malcolm X's point that the next revolution will probably not be a racial revolution, which is what he had had hoped for. He had hoped it would be an economic revolution um, of people understanding that the oppression that we have in place isn't to benefit a race. It's to benefit people who are of financial means. Hmm. um, But it's a great book, and I I tell everybody to all read it. And, you know, that that would be another topic for another day as far as – you know, because there are people of color that will discriminate against each other because one is lighter and one is darker. And so I, I do know that, uh, which you talked about, uh, Malcolm X being called, uh, you know, uh, red. And so, but that's for another topic. 
Uh, you know, Ty, I, I think that uh, we can see that there are still tensions going on uh, when it comes to uh, racial issues. Uh, those tensions are coming to light, I think, even more so as of as of recent, uh, you know, uh, indications by, uh, you know, what, you know, these 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 protests that are going on uh, around the country, especially now because of the, uh, you know, uh, requests by some groups uh, for the removal of, uh, you know, uh, relics and monuments uh, that uh, point towards the Confederacy. And, uh, mm. you know, it, it's really brought, brought this, this tension to the forefront. Uh, I don't think that it, it, it ever escaped us. I think that it's always been here. Uh, but I think that for whatever reason, uh, these things are coming to a head right now. And then you've got groups that are vying for attention. You've got, uh, you know, uh, what I would call, uh, you know, white nationalists that are uh, concerned for the, uh, you know, or, or concerned about the increase of minority cultures. You've got Black Lives Matter that are now raising their voices because of, uh, you know, uh, police brutality. Uh, you've got you've got Blue Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matters, where our, the police officers are concerned for their own safeties and uh, safety and, and, and saying, look, you know, we're here to protect and serve you. Uh, don't treat us any indifferent. And so you've got all of these streams, all of these uh, individual groups that are that are, you know, in essence saying, look, we we matter. And, uh, you know, I think that to culminate this and to tie it all up uh, before we end this podcast, you know, uh, without making uh, some kind of a, uh, you know, a silly statement like all lives matter because all lives matter do. But you under, I, when I say silly, uh, you know, I don't think that that needs to be said. All lives do matter, whether they are of black descent, of white descent, of Latino descent, of Asian descent. Uh, all lives do matter. In the eyes of God, we as image bearers bear the image of the one who created us. And so no one should feel like they are superior or inferior to anyone. We've all been created equal. And so uh, would you do us a favor and, uh, you know, just speak about that equality that God created us with, where it says in Acts chapter 17, that from one man, he created every man. And he was the one, God was the one that determined the times and the places where men would live. Can you talk about the fact that God, when he created us, he didn't create anyone to be superior or inferior to anyone? Well, you know, I, there's just no way to better say that. I mean, we're all equal in God's sight. I mean, there's, there's no division um, racially. Um, and, and by the way, when, when Paul talks about that in Romans, he's, he's saying, you know, yeah, there's, there's neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek. I mean, that, that's, that was the way to say everyone, right? There was a mirror in them, right? That's saying, um, it's, it's like saying big and small, uh, skinny and fat. It's, it isn't like just saying only skinny people and only fat people. He was, he was including everybody because that was a culture that he came out of us to use those, that terminology. Absolutely, we, everyone in God's sight was made his image. Um, and it, it, it isn't a, it isn't a racial thing. It isn't a, it is, it isn't a gender thing. We are all made in his image. And, you know, that's why I can sit here and say black lives matter. That's why I can sit here and say, um, black is beautiful. And, and I'm not, I'm not pantomiming and I'm not, um, I'm not flattering and I'm not, uh, saying that other things are, other people aren't beautiful. I'm saying God has made every one of us in his image. And um, uh, it, isn't, it isn't a physical image. It's a spiritual image. But e even in that regard, we live in physical bodies. And, I mean, we're all just in this. Uh, you threw me for a loop with this question, but I, obviously it's something I, I, I'm deeply passionate about. Um, you know, we're a multicultural family. We have, we're foster parents, and we have, we have had black foster kids. And, you know, they are my children. And I love them just as just the same as I do our biological children. When we lived in Cambodia, we had twelve uh, boys that we consider to be our sons. Um, and you know, I don't love any of these children any better or, or any more or any less than any of my other kids. Um, and guess how God feels about us? Uh, you know, when 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 
God said in Genesis, let us make man in our image. There was no caveat. There was no asterisk. There was no, no but mentioned. Man is made in God's image. Hmm. So good. You know, and, and I just have to say this much. Sammy, thank you so much for having a conversation about this. And I love the tension because the only way we're going to get past any of this is by sitting at the tension and you've given me things to think about in the last half hour, but in the last six months that we've been having this conversation. So I appreciate what you're doing. And listen, I, I know that uh, for some, this, uh, this, this is instigating for others. They would probably want me to shut up, especially when I post stuff on Instagram and Facebook. And all I want to do is be a catalyst for the conversation to be had. Uh, you know, uh, some of the responses are very intense. Some of the responses that I get are, you know, very incendiary. Uh, you know, they, uh, I get, I get responses via uh, uh, Facebook Messenger. Uh, people that uh, don't necessarily want to post what they have to say to me uh, on on where everybody else could read it, and uh, you know, I, I read them. Some I respond to, and some I, you know, I just, I, I you know, if anything, I probably feel like uh, Jimmy Kimmel when he gets some of that hate mail, and uh, you know, I, I go well. You know, Lord, you were the one that told me to do this. Uh, you know, it's not something that I, uh, you know, uh, for the lack of a better term, get my jollies off by uh, by causing, uh, you know, people to get upset over these conversations. But I agree with you that they do need to be had. I think for the longest time, uh, you know, there was probably fear to have these conversations because of the backlash. And uh, for some for some part, I, I, I believe that, uh, you know, people are tired of these racial tensions or hearing about them. You know, I know some people probably read my post or or see the things that I post on on Instagram, some meme that I create by a graphic, and they go, "Gosh, man, I really wish that guy would shut up about this." He he's just adding fuel to the fire. And no, I'm not trying to add fuel to anything. I really want there to be uh, unity uh, between mm, races yeah. and especially amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Ty, for me, as a multi-ethnic pastor, as a, you know, I, I love when I look at, at the congregation that God has called me to lead, and I love to see people from every nation, and I wish we had more nations represented. I think that it is yeah. practice for what heaven is going to look like. Uh, I love that. But, you know, until we see that become a reality on earth as it is in heaven, I'm going to do everything I, I can to promote that, be it in the church and in the society at large. Yeah. And so, brother, will you do me a favor uh, as we as we come to an end of this podcast? Would you pray for all of our listeners? I know that there, was, there have been some things said today that people could go, man, that sounds kind of rough. Sammy saying that uh, people are committing acts of violence because of uh, the tension that has been created in the past when violence was enacted upon people of color, which I'm not saying that that is good. And I'm not saying that that is right, but you know, some things like this can, uh, you know, if anything, uh, inflict, uh, either wounds or, uh, you know, tension or fear in the hearts of people. And that is not the, the, the purpose of this podcast, but I want to be very realistic, but would you pray for, 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 for me Pray for our listeners, pray for our nation, that, uh, that God would heal it, that God would heal us, and that, uh, that one day we can all sit together, uh, should Jesus uh, not come back within our lifetime, where we could sit uh, with people of all different ethnicities, all different cultural backgrounds, and be at peace as a nation. Would you, would you pray for that, bro? Yes, yes, absolutely. And by the way, Sammy, thank you so much once again for your bravery in having this conversation, and thank you for being a provocateur. I really appreciate it. Um, now we're going to turn to God and just say thank you, Lord. God, you're amazing. You are the greatest. You are the utmost. You are the highest. You are God. And I thank you for being a father to us. Lord, uh, a father to us, whether we are uh, anywhere we are in the color spectrum, whether we're, uh, you know, white, brown, black, 
Um, whether we are of Asian descent, we're of Latino descent, we're of African descent, we're of Caucasian descent, where we come from, Lord, you love us and you are a good, good Father. And Father, I believe that it is your desire that we as children, your children especially, dwell together in peace. Lord, um, we are all, for those of us that are in Christ, we are sons, we are children, we are heirs. And that makes us brothers and sisters to one another. And in Psalm 133, verse 1 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Father, I, I pray that you would help us dwell together in unity. Help us reach each other in unity. Uh, Lord, help us um, open our ears, opening our listening ears, open our hearts uh, to each other to say, hey, if I've done you wrong or you've been wronged by someone that, you know, I was related to even distantly, then I'm sorry. Um, that we would listen to each other's pains and hurts and sometimes say, I don't know how to fix this, and we just walk it out together. Um, that if there are ways that we can seek reconciliation, even restitution, that we would do that. Um, and, Father, I pray that your name would be glorified because of this. Lord, I, I confess that there has been systemic racism in America on the part of, of my white ancestors. Even if, even if my ancestor was born here, People that were white were here doing wrong. And I confess of that, and I, and I repent of it. Um, and I say it was wrong. It was a wrong response, and it was a wrong thing to do. And, it, and, and we, Lord, um, I, I apologize for that. I mean, and, and forgive me, Lord, I'm not being really eloquent. These people are listening to me pray, and, and, uh, but I'm trying to confess something to you, God, that this is just so it's systemically wrong. Please help uh, me. Uh, my brother Sammy, and all of those that love you turn to each other and ask, how do we now dwell together in peace? And how do we more effectively reflect the body of Christ? God, thank you for the name of the Mosaic. We are a broken people made beautiful in you. I pray that, uh, that everything we do as a church, not only here at the Mosaic uh, Church here locally, but the Church of Christ in general, would reflect the fact that you can take broken things like racial issues, like ethnic tensions, like cultural divides, and make it beautiful. And lastly, please bless Sammy. He's an incredible man of God, an incredible pastor, an incredible entrepreneur, an incredible father, an incredible husband, an incredible son. Bless him and keep him safe as he does this work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tyrone, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Talk About It. God bless you, my friend. Thanks, Sammy.